do 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 barrel do 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 you know the day destroys the night night divides the day try to run try to hide break on through to the other side break on through to the other side break on through to the other side yeah Today, I wanted to talk about Laurel Canyon, which you have been so adamant that I check it out and I read this book. And when you told me about Laurel Canyon, I had no idea what it was. And I thought, like, I'd, I don't know what Laurel Canyon is. That doesn't sound exciting at all. So you tell me to check out this book. And it was absolutely fascinating. Dude, I've read that book like four times and I've listened to it because it's so there's so much to absorb. So much information, so many facts. The book is a book of facts. It's not, that, that book is not a book where it's um, conjecture or, you know, like this is what it could mean, someone's opinion. It's, it's just like, this is like what happened. This is the, this is everyone that was, this is all the musicians that were in Laurel Canyon. This is their background. This is where they come from. This is, their house burned down, their kids Yeah, he, so he says in here, I, so the quote is, I do all of my research through very mainstream channels. I am a big believer in the notion that the truth is out there, but don't expect it to be delivered to you in tidy packages by any mainstream media outlets. So what impressed me the most with his research was he starts telling all these background stories, pointing out how, you know, hey, uh, John Mor or Jim Morrison's dad was in military intelligence, which I knew from just researching oh, that, the doors. The, he was the captain. Yes. The captain of the ship that um, popped off the Vietnam War. That popped off the Vietnam War with the Gulf of Tonka. Yeah. Tonka. So is that am I sound that right? Tonka. Essentially, what what this whole idea is of what is Laurel Canyon? Laurel Canyon is what is, is it? North Hollywood? Is it in Northern Hollywood? Exactly. I mean, Laurel Canyon is basically, yeah, I mean, it's just right north of, of Hollywood. Yeah. It starts to get into the, the Hollywood Hills, you know, by Hollywood Boulevard. and So just kind of like this L.A. to kind of area, Hollywood Hills area, where essentially all these big pop culture icons in the 60s, they all lived there. Their houses were like literally connected, which we can talk about later with tunnels with tunnels and stuff. Um, and they all came from military intelligence backgrounds. Yeah, all their parents and everything. Their yeah. dads were like military intelligence. So it's starting to look as if uh, all of these it, like this wasn't just some natural like, oh, all these rock bands made it randomly they got lucky and they had fans like no it seems like it was propped up by the government and what i guess my core idea is is they knew that there's going to be a natural pushback to what they do with wars in vietnam and things like that so why not set up your own fake opposition that you can control so that way all these people are distracted by the door they think that the doors are this counter-revolution thing but but they never actually Jim Morrison never actually came out and uh, denounced the Vietnam War you would you would assume that he did just based on 
what you're told about him in, in history, but but look back and if you're a fan of the doors like I wasn't of read books and have all the documentaries. Like, I've read I, every book on the doors. When I think about it, I'm like, yeah, he never did. And it's like what what did they really promote? What what did people know about them? The the sex and drugs. Well, what are sex and drugs? That's a great way to distract people. Right. Because then it becomes all they want. They just want to do drugs and then have the sex. Yeah, so it's like, so essentially, um, these bands were a psyop, and and what are these bands? Well, it's li- all of these bands were connected to the to Laurel Canyon, either living there or had an other deep connection. We're talking about, and I'm just going to read it off of the back of the book: the Birds, the Doors, Buffalo Springfield, the Monkeys, the Beach Boys, the Turtles, the Eagles, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Frank Zappa, and the Mothers of Invention, Steppenwolf, CSN, Three Dog Night, and Love. Um, Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins, James Taylor, uh, which is interesting how James Taylor had supposedly his first 20 years in life. He was in a mental institute, a mental institute. And I'm a, I'm a James Taylor fan. I think that some of his music is like, is great. Yeah. One of my best friends met him and has like pictures of James Taylor and stuff. Yeah. On, like, dude, he has so many good songs. Summer breeze. Uh, so once I, I read the introduction and he's just laying all of the, and I don't, do you think, did he ever, I don't know if he ever explicitly, uh, so the author David McGowan, um, and he's passed away, he's Rest no longer peace. with us, but um, I don't know if he explicitly says this is a CIA operative or if he just kind of lays out the facts and lets you yeah. draw that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's what it is. Hey, here's all the the facts, like, this is odd, because then at the very top of Laurel Canyon was Lookout Mountain where there was a secret military base that was the largest privately owned film studio in the country. And people that had access to it that were seen going in there, Marilyn Monroe, um, John Wayne, and others. Yeah, absolutely. There's been such a deep tie to the government in Hollywood and that weirdo Jared Leto lives in there now. He bought the yeah, military yeah, yeah. base uh, Lookout Mountain, where he, where he now runs a cult and thinks he's Jesus. And you are not Jesus, Jared. You're a douche. <laughs> Think about this, too. The, the ties between the government and Hollywood go deep. But even someone, so like, I like Robert Rodriguez, but even he'll talk about how Obama had talked to him about making specific movies with certain elements included in it. And, well, sure. and he's not trying to, and I'm not saying anything bad about Robert Rodriguez because I like him in his book, but like, did he do it? Well, yeah, he talks about it. He's just he's like, yeah, Obama was like telling me that I should do this or that, you know, so do you remember what he did or what Obama told oh, him? Oh, you to can, do? I'll, I'll look it up real quick. Well, was, was Obama president at the time? Because if he was president at the time, I don't think that like, it was like, Hey, here's some ideas for your film. If you're the president, it's probably like I'm giving you ideas and I'm expecting you. Uh, there's one article here. Robert Rodriguez describes his talk with President Obama and we and he says, we, dude, he says we updated him on what we've been doing. Like, why would you word it like that? Like we we've updated the president on what on what we're doing with the network. We talked a lot about identity and belonging. Um, and uh, it sounds like. I guess the vibe I, t- I I got was that he was talking about, yeah, there's different theories and stuff like that and potentially maybe being more inclusive about stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of odd. But anyway, point being is like with what you said with Monroe and John Wayne is the stuff is there's been close ties to the government. I mean, the, there's that um, 
uh, was it Jay Hoover, the the FBI director, who supposedly the FBI was like pretty involved on what was going on in Hollywood back in the day? Oh, but J. Edgar Hoover, yeah, yeah. the uh, secret crossdresser. <laughs> yeah. So, um, with with you know the thing with this author, what impressed me was he would talk about you know this guy dying a mysterious death, and this book, by the way. Um, couple hundred pages or whatever should have taken me maybe two days to read. It took me like four weeks because I would read a paragraph and then I would, I would pause and I would have to look it up myself. And what what was crazy was that he'd say, okay, this guy died a strange death. And then when I would look it up, it would be even crazier than what he said. Like he, he left out the sensational aspects of it and just kept it to the core. There's not a whole lot of trust me, bro. in it, the, the only thing that I saw in there was he said, he talked about Lenny Bruce's death and he said everybody that knows Lenny Bruce believed he was murdered and it was like a common knowledge thing. But I wasn't able to ever. And again, this is and I'm using the Internet on this. So maybe word of mouth back in the day, everybody thought Lenny Bruce got clipped. I don't know. But um, he talks about that. Yeah. Even he talks about uh, Houdini, the Houdini house. The Houdini is weird. Yeah. The the stuff that they say with, you know, he kind of points out with Houdini that. He had some military intelligence type background and, you know, he he would travel to all these different countries to do these this stuff, but he was really gathering information or passing information along. And then you because think about it. Because he was it. the perfect spy. Because if you also read about um, just people within the theater, John Wilkes Booth, yeah. he was in the theater yeah. traveling. And it kind of makes sense because then you're like, well, yeah, why does Houdini need to go to another country to escape so, handcuffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he, he says, up? he says in there that like right as Houdini's uh, fame was popping off in America, he goes to Europe. And the point that he made was, why would you do that? When when wouldn't you want to stay and keep cultivating your your fame here? You wouldn't just leave Get it on a boat. We're talking about back in a time where there's no television, there's no internet, and traveling is takes months. Because you're on a boat, yeah. I mean, this is pre-plane, right? Yeah, he can't he can't update his fans on what he's doing through through the internet. So once you start going through this, it's it's like uh, it's mind blowing. And uh, again, I was impressed by his research. The other thing that impressed me too was his forward is by Nick Bryant, and I think Nick Bryant's legit. He he covered that book on the his book on the Franklin cover up is spooky. And that came out maybe 10 or more years ago. Um, but that was a fascinating book as well. And then the other thing that I liked about this book is I no longer have to pretend to like Frank Zappa. Because you when pretended I pretended to like him? Yeah, he was like, he was the, uh, what would you say? He was like the, you know, the kingpin yeah. of Laurel Canyon. And under yeah. his log cabin where everyone hung out, there was tunnels, everything. And then... Just like a lot of houses in Laurel Canyon, it burned down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of homes being now, burned down. Now, the whole Dada is whatever it is with Frank Zappa, whatever you want to call it. When I was in high school and I was, you know, in a band and all I wanted to do was be in a band in my life, there were certain, you know, I, got, I would study the doors and I, I would want to be Jim Morrison. I wanted to be Nikki Six. I wanted to be Nikki Six so bad. And I was in high school, dude. But I wanted to be that. Why did you want to be Nikki Six? Dude, he's the, like the coolest dude ever. He I is. Love, I love Nikki Six. He's at the top of my like one of people I want to meet. What uh, What makes him cool? 
I, that's a whole episode. And we, well, I, I mean, to, like, briefly, like, I want to know this about. I've, just, I've never met anyone that wanted to be Nikki Six. Just the attitude of to truly not give a fuck and truly not. Like, to there, there's a story of how in L.A., he went up to a cop car. The, the, the cops raided their house. Tommy Lee told this story. The cops raided their apartment or whatever, and Nikki Six, while the cops were doing this, went up to the cop car broke out the back window and then peed inside of it. And then when Tommy Lee told the story like 10 years ago, the LAPD were like, Hey, that was an open case. Like they're still trying to figure yeah, out yeah. like who did this. But, ju- but just that, like I always thought he was, he was funny. I always thought he looked cool to me. He was like the epitome of cool. And that may be because when I was 14 or 15, I read the dirt and the heroin diaries. And Nikki six is also the reason when why you were how old? 14, 15. Oh, I was okay. a freshman I in, you said in high 12. school. I was no. like, the heroin diaries at 12. No, nah, but when I reading Nikki Six's books are why I never dabbled in drugs at all. And because that was the whole point of his books was he was trying to basically That's tell interesting kids, because a lot of people would read that and then go, I got to get heroin. Yeah, it just became obvious to me that drugs were counterproductive to the goal of making music. Because if I did drugs and I died or got arrested because of it, yeah. I couldn't make music. And right? you, so, and you'd just be tired. Yeah, so so anyway, going back to my original point was, you know, you study these bands and you want to be like them. And people who had cool musical tastes would say, oh, I like Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart. And then I would go and listen to them and I would be like, oh, I don't, terrible. I don't like this. But then when someone would be like, who are your influences? I always tried to go with what sounded the best. So I'd say, like, uh, Frank Zappa. Because you're 15, you're like, yeah, mother's a Yeah, exa- you know, exactly. No you want to seem like you're deep. I don't like Frank Zappa, and I'm tired of pretending that I ever did. I never liked Frank Zappa. Good. I just wanted to say that. Good. It's crazy, too, how he was a gun nut. He hated hippies. Like, he had these quotes. He made fun of hippies, yet he was supposed to be their leader. And you know what? He was in the military. Yeah. His dad was military intelligence. Yeah. He was. Who was it? One of the guys in the book, it talks about from the mamas and the papas. He was over in, um, like... What, like the Congo? I can't remember the exact thing. Or yeah. Cuba. He was down in Cuba. Yeah. Like yeah. doing stuff with the rebels. Like why was a musician down there? That was like one thing. Like it's very bizarre. I can't remember the exact details of that because it's- um, It's all special. It's, dude, it's special forces stuff. Like yeah. do, do you know much about what special forces actually does? So special forces to me is more interesting than Navy SEALs because essentially what special forces are is- um, and this is the most generous take in in some ways, um, is if the government notices an uprising in Uganda, the U.S. government's going to say, okay, we want this side to win this war because we want these people to be in power in this government. So what they'll do is they'll send special forces over there and special forces will um, train them, train the side that we want to win to go out and fight. So in Afghanistan, stuff like that, they were trying to... Um, you know, raise up the the counter, the people counter to like ISIS or the Taliban or whoever to try to get them to to fight back. So they so they're training people, they're training people on everything from weapons, logistics, essentially how to be war fighters. The reason why I say that that's a generous take is because the the more non generous take would be to say that we pop off the revolution that we want in a country and we build it up all of ourselves. So if it doesn't happen organically, it'd be something that the government sets up too. And then, and then it appears to be organic, like Laurel Canyon, with all these mu- musicians that just were like, uh, 
the Laurel Canyon called me from Canada. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, how did you guys meet? And then when you look, when you hear these stories, you know, oh, that's crazy. They met at a traffic stop. You know, and then you look back and you're like, yeah, there's no LA. way that they met like that. There's no way. Well, they already like knew each other. Yeah. And then Neil Young went down there to find who? Like Stills I, or something? It was yeah, Stills Crosby, and Young. Stills and yeah. yeah. And then they saw like a saw like a hearse. Yes. It's preposterous. Yeah. You have all this art that was created in the late 60s and early 70s, all coming from Laurel Canyon that everyone believes to be just organic and like this is yeah happened but it appears that it was orchestrated even like in there it talks about phil hartman made logos for one of the bands yeah like I've, phil hartman was hanging out in laurel canyon he was a he was a graphic designer now, i never knew that that was another one where he talks about and because i I made notes on it too with phil hartman so i wanted to get your take on the phil hartman thing because he kind of puts in a little bit of a conspiracy there in this book that it was a little bit that there was something else besides, oh, his wife went crazy and shot him. I I don't know how much I believe that because, uh, dude, have you heard the Andy Dick, John Lovett story? Yeah. Yeah. Like for those who don't know, essentially what had happened was uh, Andy Dick. So Phil Hartman's wife, who was a drug addict or something, she wasn't on drugs. Andy Dick got her high, got her back on drugs. And while she was high or, and out of her mind, she kills herself and Phil Hartman. And so supposedly, and I love this story, John Lovitz beat his ass when he saw him, like grabbed him by the throat and, and kicked his ass. Which I love is, that story. Which is wild to me because I've opened for John Lovitz. Doesn't seem like the type. He's very, uh, he's kind of quiet, loves his dog. Showed me a lot of pictures of his dog. Yeah, which I was like, cool, man. I got dogs, too. I like John Lovitz, and if he beat Andy Dick's ass over that, then then good for him. So my the he point... Was, John Lovitz was um, hilarious, and he plays the piano and sings, and he has an incredible voice. And he closed the show, uh, and this was prior to Bob Saget's passing away, Played a uh, a whole song about how Bob Saget is um, gay, <laughs> though like like a like a couple minute ballot, and then to the point where then all these people believe that it's actually. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, "So does Bob know that you, you sing the song?" He's like, "Oh yeah, he thinks it's hilarious." That's funny, or whatever. So people after the show, you know, that would come up and yeah, he met a few people wanted an autograph. They're like, "Bob Saget's really gay." He's like, <laughs> he just plays it off. Well, shout out, shout out, John Lovitz. It's hilarious. So the Phil Hartman thing, um, I don't know. Do you think that there's a conspiracy there? The, the, again, it's that. If I didn't know the John Lovett story, like that seems pretty organic. If if he really did beat up Andy Dick, I would say then that it probably was more so that than it was a conspiracy. But I don't know. Yeah, what, I mean, what's I've, your take? I've heard that story from other comics. Oh, like you've heard it personally. People said, yeah. But here's the deal, though. Then I realize that I've heard stories about other comics, just like you know, crazy party things or this or that, and then you know, le years later, I'll hear the same story based on who it actually happened to. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, the stories will go around, but then they kind of lose, like, the context of who was all there. Yeah. Or some people might say that they're there. Exactly. Same thing with with the Manson stuff, which is a whole other episode in and of itself. But, you know, um, 
Manson's heavily involved. And I've are, on this episode, are we at the end of it? Let's do the Manson interviews. But anyway, so same thing though with like the like I've been reading Helter Skelter, which a lot of people say this book was BS, whether it was propaganda or whether it was just misinformed. But um, the I think the prosecutor is the guy who, who's writing it. So I'm reading this book right now, and he kind of talks about that too, where. As time went on, he's like, all of a sudden, everyone was invited to Sharon Tate's house that night. Like, as time went on, so yeah. many celebrities were like, I, I was supposed to be there and I wasn't, you know? So, yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, some of that is just human nature. And, you know, my background, like, like being on city council, when I went into city council, I was a conspiracy theorist, just straight up. And um, I remember thinking at times, it, it actually made me stop believing any conspiracies for a while because... We would do something good, but we just didn't have the, like, their PR wasn't good enough to communicate it, so it would look bad. And I remember thinking, man, if I was sitting on the outside looking in, I would think, oh, this is bad, this is X, Y, and Z, but knowing the truth from where I'm at, I actually know this is a good thing, right? So sometimes I think that things can, you know, just look bad um, naturally. So one of the things that McGowan does is I thought, you know, he does try to take out that sensational. It's still sensational. Yeah. But like it, you were saying, when you look it up, you were like, is this real? Then you go, oh, it's even it's real and it's even more insane. So, yeah, you know, just just going through the book, it was, uh, you know, it was shocking. And also my toxic trait is that while I read about some of these characters and how abusive they were towards others, their their friends, their their spouses, their children, I'm reading this book. Yeah, like and I, the mamas and the papas guy who just bangs his daughter. I'm just imagining beating, just beating that dude merciless. Like I'm just reading this chapter. Like, oh, if I could build a time machine, dude. If I could build a time machine, it's you only, just you only get one, one time travel. That's it, and you would just go back and and beat the hell out of the mamas and the papas. Guy. I want to. I want to tell this directly into the camera and to the listeners. If I get my hands on a time machine, it's going to be go time on site for a lot of abusive celebrities in the 60s, 100%. Oh, I was getting so upset reading it because some of these people are just, uh, not, some of them are dysfunctional, some of them are straight up evil. Yeah, I like how they're all, they were all against guns and in war, but then if you go through there, like even David Crosby, none of them actually ever came out and said, uh, you know, and directly denounced it. It was just basically um you know put out there by the media that so it, it was like projected onto them even though they weren't really like that and david crosby was a gun nut and carried like giant revolvers around yeah zappa was a gun nut and now and let his me, family is like royalty and, and let me ask you this how many liberals do you know how many anti-war liberals do you know how many peace-loving liberals do you know that have a bunch of guns can you name one? I can't. Now, I know they're out there. They're, they are out there. But I know some liberals who have a 12-gauge shotgun or a 20-gauge shotgun that they inherited from their grandpa, and they think that that makes them, you know, as a gun owner, you know, they think that they have authority all of a sudden on guns. But the point being is, is that most liberals you know who are peace-loving liberals, they don't own guns. These guys had a ton of guns. Yeah. So many. Now, I, I try, I'm essentially dual-minded when it comes to conspiracies. On one level, I won't believe any of it. And on the other level, I'll, I'll believe all of it. And so even with the Laurel Canyon stuff, you know, if I had to defend why these guys own guns, my response would probably be something of saying, 
well, that was in the '60s, so they still grew up in a in a culture that was you know more free with a gun. You, you know, you could be a kid and go to the hardware store and buy a shotgun. You know, so they were just around guns more. So therefore, they had guns and they and they liked guns or whatever. But um, you know, compare that to modern times. Okay, I could kind of see that. But uh, again, point being is how many peaceful hippies own a ton of guns and not not only own the guns but love them. You know. Yeah, I've done a stand-up show at a gun shop and a shooting range and brought one of my comic friends with me who is um, a very hardcore liberal, has no guns, probably, you know, would want him banned. And, but since we were doing the show, we got a free range, hooked us up with some rentals for free, bullets. We got to shoot. I'm like, all right, man, let's shoot. And it was the first time that he's ever even shot like an AR-15. And I'm like, how was it? He's like, it was fun like yeah damn right it was <laughs> going back to some of the special forces aspects of it because you're talking about you know some of these guys and it's like why was this guy in the congo when we weren't at war officially with the con well that's special forces stuff like special forces stuff they're going they're they're in other countries they're for laying the, the groundwork yeah and they'll even for the overthrow Dude, there's guys now. There's like a guy who was on uh, Jocko's podcast, and he was telling stories about doing stuff like he went from Vietnam into other countries, and he said that the government was essentially like, "We're sending you there unofficially. If you get caught, we're denying it." And so, so that's why when the when you hear these reports of these people in countries where it's like, "Hey, we weren't at war with them," yeah, they're they're laying the ground. They're they're doing missions, you know. And and so some of these people too, how some of these people that died. I read it and I'm like, that's that's just the, how the government works, baby. Like the guy, uh, Phil Phil Ox O C H S. So he he totally went out in a way that was the CIA or Special Forces modus apprehendi. So this guy was someone who he was unknown to the mainstream. I believe he was a little bit of a musician. He wasn't famous, uh, but behind the scenes, he was political, right? So behind the, so behind the scenes. This guy is actually putting in work. He's trying to get his points across. He's doing political groups. He's involved. Now, all of a sudden, uh, this guy dies by hanging, right? And so when I was, I, I looked it up and I wanted to read more about the story um, because David McGowan just says, I think, I think this guy hung himself, uh, allegedly. And I think that that's, so, so David McGowan talks about it. Um, and so, uh, what happens, this is what I read, it says, uh, years after his death, it was revealed that the FBI had a file of nearly 500 pages on Ox. Much of the information in those files relates to his association with counterculture figures, protest organizations, uh, organizations, musicians, and other people described by the FBI as subversive. The FBI was often sloppy in collecting information on Ox. His name was frequently misspelled Oaks in their file, and they continued to consider him potentially dangerous after his death. So you're riding the line between gullible and conspiracy. You know, his family did say that he, he that they, his family had come out and said, like, they were worried about his mental health because he was going around and saying the FBI and the CIA is trying to kill me. Maybe they were. Well, dude, he had a 500-page dossier about him so obviously he was right yeah they they said that he always had a weapon on him he was worried about that like i said he was he was so paranoid he always even they said he would even just keep a hammer on him at times um but this guy so behind the scenes he had a following he had a vision and he was smart enough and capable enough to to realize it 
that's the kind of people that the special forces will just they'll clip him. Like if they see in another country, if they were to see, oh, this group's starting to kind of pop up a little bit, and they're like, oh, it's led by one guy that we don't like, they'll just kill the guy, and then they'll watch it evaporate, right? Like that's just how the U.S. government operates. So as um, I heard someone say, like these people will kill you if you piss them off, right? And so when you start to see this happening in America, I mean, dude, you're going through this book, and there are so many people, and they die by hanging. Dude, dude, the most, the craziest one was, and I don't remember the guy's name, that um, was found in his car, beaten, shot, and doused with gasoline, but it was never lit on fire, maybe because someone came along and, and saw it, and the cops got there and checked it out, and they're like, suicide. So he beat himself. And then shot himself and then poured gasoline all over his body. There's a lot of suicides through where the people had to jump through a plate, plate glass window on their way out. And it's like, mm. so what's funny as you know, as someone like myself who just loves music and loves reading about uh, musicians of the past. Once you, once he starts putting all this together, I was just, I was, I was thinking, Oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> One of the most fascinating aspects about the book is how it talks about how so many members of all these legendary bands didn't even know how to play the instruments yep. they played. Yep. Yeah. Had no clue. So basically, they would go, The Wrecking Crew, which you can watch a movie about it, about, um, uh, help me out with the dude's name. Type, oh, type in The Wrecking Crew. Because Phil, um, Phil... I want it to just come to me naturally. Come to me, knowledge. Access the part of your brain where the knowledge is stored. Phil, not Donahue. Is he a member of the band? Not Don, no, he was in charge of the Wrecking Crew. And the Wrecking Crew were all the insanely talented musicians yeah. that laid down all the musical uh, instruments. Carol Kay, Hale Blaine, Tommy Tedesco, Leon Russell, Glenn Campbell. No, but the guy that put it together. Uh, are you talking about Phil Spector? Phil Spector, who oh, murdered duh. the lady. Yeah, yeah Phil Spector. He, it was his is his deal that he put together, so he created. I should have known that, dude. I, I know, like it was coming. I'm like Phil Donahue, Doctor Phil. So, like all those songs, you know, Mamas and the Papas, the Birds, all that, they were laid down by the Wrecking Crew, and then they would these bands would have to go on tour, and play and you know, it's reported that they were awful. Like you can even find articles about when they oh, first yeah. started touring and, and people are like, this is, this is dog shit. Yeah. People used to like laugh about it and just say like, Oh, it's cause the band, it's cause the band wasn't, uh, they're high or this or that. And it's like, or maybe they just didn't know now. Now here's the, here's the devil advocate point on that though, is that, um, there it's been common for people to incorporate, <clears throat> uh, people who don't know how to play music into their band, but because the cool, the person was a cool hangout, whether it was, they were cool or they brought chicks. Nikki six even talks about Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And you know, the band that Keanu Reeves was in. Yeah, Uh, I do. I know somebody who went to one of their shows. Okay. Yeah. So he, um, and I do too. They told me that. So he wanted it to be all about the band. What, can you look up the name of the band here? So he wanted it to be all about the band and not him. Because everybody was going to see because it's Keanu Billy Bob Reeves. Thornton did the same thing. Was it and was Dog Star? Dog Star. So at this concert at the Ranch Bowl in Omaha, when they came to play, he stood in a dark corner, 
so no one could see him. And That's he, the it, same story it, I heard. And even like face the wall or whatever, because he was like, it's about the music and the band. It's not about Keanu. Yeah, my friend was there and she said that um, it was really weird. It just, just like what you had said. Billy Bob Thornton was that way too. I guess when he's on tour with his band, if you bring up his music, he shuts down. But uh, Dude, have you heard Billy Bob Thornton about Angelina Jolie? Angelina. Oh, yeah, I hate to see Dude, it is so, it is, as as the kids would say these days, cringe. This is the point I was going to make, though, about not knowing how to play your instruments, right? <clears throat> so even Nikki Six had said, like, he played bass because he didn't know how to play any instruments, and he, he thought it would be, like, the easier one to play. And That's what he knew. thinks. And, like, a lot of lore that says this is, like, Sid Vicious, bassist for the Sex Pistols, Never knew how to play, but he looked cool. He had a cool attitude and stuff like. And I believe, that, like, I'm sure that that is genuine. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so. Every- there is that, and I'll even say this. This is a funny story with with when I started at my band. Uh, I I was at uh, we needed a bassist, and I was just asking people who I liked hanging out with. So I'd ask the original bassist for Always Tyrants, my band. Uh, his name was Caleb. Well, I mentioned to Caleb, hey, it'd be cool if you learned to play bass. Now, I didn't know this. Like, he went out and bought a bass and started to learn how to play. And he never had said anything to me because he wanted to show up and be like, hey, look, guys, I can play. Look at this. Right? Look at these, uh, look at these four chords I can play. I was hanging out with this kid that had just graduated high school, and this chick or this dude got tons of chicks. And we were sitting there talking. He's telling me these stories. And I was like, hey, have you ever thought about playing bass? And he's like, no. And I'm like, I think you should be in my band. And again, it was just, he didn't know how to play. And I knew that if we ever went to a studio, the guitarist could just record for him. But I just like the fact that this dude brought up chicks. And that's what they all want because where the, the chicks go, the men, the men follow it even talks about in weird scenes inside the Canyon, how, how uh, the hippie movement started. So yeah, it was, we were talking about that with David Gunn. It yeah. was with the one dude. Uh, that cult leader guy? Yeah, Voldo or yeah. Uh, Val. But I don't remember He's that. got a weird that name. That weirdo's name. That's Gosh, another why dude can't... Who, that's another dude who would get it on side. I'm, I'm if just I had terrible a, with names. If I had a uh, time machine. The sen- Vito. Um, Vito oh, well, yeah, what's his last name? When they were filming that um, satanic movie. But from uh, Kenneth Anger? Yeah, like their... Uh, what's his name, Vito? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out his last name. Okay, his... his um, his like two year old kid falls through a skylight on top of like he was on top of a building, falls through a skylight and dies. And then that night he went out and parted with his followers. So Vito, he had all the freaks. They were called the freaks. Vito and his freaks. Yeah. yeah Vito and his freaks. And they had all these women dressed up as hippies. And they would go to the shows of whatever band they were trying to get off the ground. So they'd go up, they'd go to the Whiskey Go-Go when the doors were playing, and all these girls would be like this, like, I'm a flower power. And then all the dudes would show up, and then that's how they would build an audience. Vito Palikas. Vito Palikas. Uh, on a side note, I was listening to someone who was talking about the, the Manson family, and he was like, they would always talk about how hot these chicks were, but when you look at them, none of those girls were attractive. Harry Woods people? I mean, dude, I get it. If you're in your 20s, uh, hey, it is what it is. What What? What is what it is? Like you, Harry chicks? A female is a female. No. Not when they're unwashed and covered in hair. Hey, man, we've all been to some dark places in our life. <laughs> <laughs> With Frank Zappa, too. Here, here's, here's one. Here's one. Check this out. 
So he's got a song where it's like it's two songs in one or whatever. The song's called uh, like Child Sacrifice. There's no reason for the name of the song to be that. Wait, who sings that? Frank Zappa. the The song I think is just straight up called uh, "Child Sacrifice." I want I want to get this right. Um, I want to tell you the exact um, the the exact name of the song, but I think it, it, it's it's uh, just called "Child Sacrifice." But anyway, it's a part of this. It, it's like a two part song. Um, it's two songs in one, essentially. Kind of like how there's that Green Day song that's like nine. Or it's like nine minutes long and it's four songs in one. You know what I'm talking no, about? No, I've never. I mean, I've listened to a lot of Green Day. I remember when the album Dookie came out, but I don't know about their nine minute song. Uh, you should have asked the. Yeah, should ask Trey. I think it's, I think it's Jesus of Suburbia, because yeah, it's a nine minute. So it's that I'm the son of rich and love. The Jesus of Suburbia, the Bible I'm gonna be above. Uh, that one, yeah. Um, there's, it's like four songs in one, right? So there's a Frank Zappa song that's that's kind of like that, where it's a couple songs in, in one. And uh, I think the official name of the song is uh, "The Return of the Son of Monster," but what one of the songs in it was just called like "Child Sacrifice," right? Now there's no reason for this song to be called "Child Sacrifice." Listen to how bad. Hey man, who's jamming out to this? Who's jamming out to this song? Like this isn't even a song, it's just noise. I don't even know what's happening right now. So if you're high and that's like a cool, it sounds cool when you're high, maybe I could understand. I don't understand it, but okay, I could, okay, you're high and it sounds cool, I guess. But no, dude, like, who, who's just pulling, just driving around and listening to that? And there's going to be idiots that will be, I do, I, I actually, I genuinely like Frank Zappa. I don't Zappa. think anyone generally likes Frank Zappa. Yeah, I, I don't, um, and yeah, that's a bold statement. And if you say, actually, I'm to the point now where if people are like, no, I am, I am a diehard Frank Zappa fan. I don't even, I think that you're just saying that to be cool and to be hip. I don't even truly believe your and motives. People and like I think that, that will you've, argue lied, you've lied to yourself for so long that Frank Zappa is good at music that you've actually come to believe it. And another thing, when Lenny Bruce died, Frank Zappa got his publishing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Have you ever heard that Lenny Bruce was murdered? I've just no, that was the it. first time when I read it that I heard it. I mean, I, I could see, like, I, you know, with, with conspiracies, People are like, oh, the conspiracy theorists. But if you really think about what a conspiracy is, they're happening all around us at all times. People start conspiracies at your place of employment, you know, for the corporation. And what it is, is it's just a secret plan with a few people that know what it is that they put into motion. They're, they're the, the Jews conspired to kill Jesus on false pretenses, you know. So there's just the world is essentially we're we're woven in with conspiracies so i see stuff like lenny bruce um his style of comedy you know being vulgar or whatever at the time being arrested breaking down those walls and those barriers at the same time what's coming up playboy breaking down the barriers and the fabric of sexuality you know it and then and then we have the hippie movement and the drugs and it's all coming out at the same time targeting all these different pressure points of how Americans at the time were living. Yeah. 
and I find that suspicious. Yeah, uh, Ryan Holiday has a book called Conspiracy, and it's the it's about um, how Hulk Hogan's lawsuit took down Gawker, and it's because uh, the book's called Conspiracy because it is that it was Peter Thiel. I, do you know the background of how Gawker got taken down? No. So they had ousted Peter Thiel as gay, and Peter Thiel was like, "Why this? Why is this public information?" Because he was a billionaire investor and early, in, he was part of the PayPal mafia and an early investor in Facebook and. He was like, I'm not a public figure. I just have a billion dollars. Like he didn't think that how much money he has made him a public figure. And Gawker added him as gay and it really bothered him. And he had this kid who came to him and was basically like, if not you, then who's going to stop these guys? Because he was really bothered by it. So he funded this dude for months and he funded an entire law firm. And their full-time job was to find a way to dismantle Gawker. And when Hulk Hogan's sex tape... Hold on, when you get a... Just to have a law firm dedicated to destroying something is. Uh... But but think about this: if you have if you have that much money and you think it's for a good cause, to oh him, absolutely, oh no yeah. no, I'm not saying that. Um, I'm saying that it would be fun to have that kind of money. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So when Hulk Hogan's sex tape came out, um, you know, he tried to sue him to take it down. And they were they had gotten the cease and desist or whatever all all that stuff and they were like no like they even wrote an article like ha we're not taking it down we're and, and and yeah explicitly said that so Peter so Hulk Hogan gets this whole thing funded he doesn't even know where the money's coming from like they came to him and they said we have a quiet investor who you're not going to know he's going to fund this lawsuit you just have to stick it in all the way and Gawker, he's like you bet brother you bet brother and so he sat through this and um it was like there was times where it was stressful for him because they were going hard on him and they're just like don't give up we have this guy he will pay however much money and it they takes. said you have fought andre the giant and now gawker is that giant so then and gawker like they were even saying because the, they were owned by a billionaire too and they're like we don't know how hulk hogan is affording this because he's only a millionaire that was their quote Right. So Peter Thiel pays for all this in the background. And it's not until months after this is done that they find out that Peter Thiel was paying for this. Right. But they he had paid to have um, like jury like to, for them to do all these jury tests and stuff like that. And so like during the when they were trying to figure out who's going to be in the jury, for instance, they found that overweight women were more sympathetic towards Hulk Hogan because the sex tape is embarrassing because it's your body. And so they found that women who are insecure about their body would be more sensitive to Hulk Hogan. Yeah, just he funded all this stuff. And it was this quiet conspiracy that didn't come out. And then months later, after Gawker is disbanded, broken up, all this stuff, I think they even gave the money to Hulk Hogan. They're like, you can get all the money. They found out it was Peter. Peter Thiel was like, surprise, bitches. It was me, the gay one. Pretty much. The other, the guy that owned Gawker was was gay too. And I think he and Peter had like, they they... Knew each other just in social circles or whatever. I think I could be wrong on that. So Ryan Holiday wrote this book because he was this like middleman where he knew Peter Thiel and he kind of knew the other guy. And this idea for the book came up, and so it's an amazing book. How much but, money did uh, the Hulk get to keep? Man, I think he won. I think it was like a hundred million dollars. Uh, he didn't. Now obviously, he doesn't get a hundred million dollars after it's all said and done. Yeah, but, but I mean, he got a lot even of money. A fraction of that. Yeah. And so Peter's like take it and you've earned it hulk hogan is a, a christian too did you know that like after all this stuff broke because no. like dude he had a rough go he had the divorce the sex tape he was caught saying the n-word um and he like became a christian and 
my brother, my brother met him and said he was genuinely nice and stuff. And I get that people always say, well, he's only a Christian because his life fell apart. It it could be, but also, couldn't it also be that when you have, when everything's taken from you, that's where you find God? When you go through trials like that and suffering and pressure and stress of, of that magnitude. Yeah. Speaking of people who are, you know, go through trials and then they become Christians, a lot of the Manson family became Christians. And there's even actually a rumor that Charlie Manson became uh, a Christian on his deathbed. I don't know if that part's true or not. But now, again, there's a couple different ways to take it. You could take that as, okay, these guys are just trying to save themselves. The death penalty, one of them got the death penalty, uh, I believe Bruce Davis, but then the death penalty, it was either him or Tex, either way. And then the the death penalty got abolished in California, so they're just on life or whatever. Um, So you could say, oh, they're just trying to be Christians because it looks good for a parole. I, in 2023, does it look good? Do, do they care? There's other programs you could do in prison or, or just good time. I don't know if being a Christian is going to save anybody from parole. My take is there, unless I hear you say something that's like wildly, outrageously not Christian, and I'm talking like if you say something such as Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, I would say, okay, well, that's not what Christians believe. So I, you know, whatever. Um, but, but anyway, a lot of the Manson family be, became Christians. So with that being said, I wanted to talk to somebody who lived in Laurel Canyon. And the only people that I could think of that I might have access to was the Manson family. So what I did was I uh, messaged uh, Bruce Davis. Uh, he was, I, I believe he was indicted on the Spawn Ranch killings. Um, he again, born again Christian. Um, I reached out to him. And at the same time, I... So at- real quick, tell us about the... Um, Spawn Ranch killings. What are the, what are the? I don't know a whole lot about it. Spawn Ranch was, if you've seen the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was the ranch when Brad Pitt goes out there, and it was owned by. It was an old movie area owned by a dude that was like ninety years old, and the Manson and they had family. Those, those hairy, dirty chicks. Yeah, all, the hairy, dirty chicks basically took that place over, and at one point, some people got killed there. Now, Bruce Davis was supposedly Charlie's right hand man. He was his best friend. Um, he was around some of the stuff that they did, but he had always denied it, um, that, that he had any, any part of it. Right. Um, now I don't know exactly his involvement of the spawn ranch or what he had said. I haven't gotten that granular in it because when I reached out to him, I just wanted to talk about Laurel Canyon and he, and maybe, and then here's testimony, right? So reach out to him. Um, and I add at the same time, I add on this app that you can use to communicate with prisoners. I add Charles Tex Watson. And I never, I never sent him a message. I just add him, right? So I talk to Bruce Davis and I say, hey, we're doing this podcast. A um, couple Christian guys want to do this podcast. Uh, I'd love to have you on. Wanted to ask you about Laurel Canyon and hear your testimony. So if we could play that real quick, let's just play that and then we'll talk about it. You know, and you can lead into your testimony from this question, but We've been talking a lot about Laurel Canyon back in the day. It was a hot spot for artists, musicians back in the day. Uh, how much time did you spend in Laurel Canyon, and why do you suppose so many people flocked there? Did, was it by design? Did it happen organically? What are your thoughts on that place and time period? Well, I've never been to Laurel Canyon. Oh, wow. And I have no idea, well, only generally why anybody would go anywhere. Yeah. It wasn't. I have nothing to say about Laurel Canyon. I might have driven through there, but I don't know anything about it per se. I see. Yeah, I I thought that you might have had some mutual friends that had that had hung out there back in the day, because like the the Doors and all those musicians kind of um, live there. 
you know, so I had thought that that might have been a place uh, that you were pretty familiar with, but uh, that's totally okay if not. Did you have, do you know, like, did you have friends that live there at all or? Well, no problem. We'll go ahead and uh, find out this. If somebody turns up and says, Hey, don't you remember X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I'll remember. Well, that's all right. Yeah, but he doesn't remember the place where they lived and hung out because yeah. in this book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, it is very detailed about how. Manson and his family were around all the time at parties, hanging out with all the rock stars. At one point, they lived with the Dennis, the drummer of the Beach Boys, which pretty much everyone knows. And they, uh, Dennis let them drive their cars, everything. So they were in the canyon. Well, uh, Bruce, I want to hear your, your testimony. I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to hear that. So, uh, you know, you kind of have the floor. Say, say what you want to say. Fully convicted and sentenced to prison in 1972. I was in Folsom in 1974. I've been there a couple of years. And I'm standing on the pier waiting for some of my friends to bring some hot fish. Completely uninvited came this voice in my mind, and my, I heard it as clear as a bell that you will never get high again. Wow. My uh, my desire for for drugs, etc., sort of vanished like we'd say a drop of water on a hot skillet. Yeah, it was just gone. And um, and I remember thinking, well, I hope those boys hurry. I'm already having some silly thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it took me a, it took me a couple minutes to figure out that this is okay. All of a sudden, I just thought, I, I never thought I was in bondage to drugs, yeah. which I was, yeah. but, but it never occurred to me, because I always, just, I always had fun, Yeah, and I, didn't have, and I didn't have any bad thoughts connected with, you know, getting loaded. Yeah. So, but a, a few days later, I'm standing on the, I'm standing on the yard in, in Folsom, and, and the, the same voice, I, I, I don't know who it is. This, this thought comes to my mind says, uh, look at the yard, what do you see? So I looked out on the yard, and I saw a lot of people I knew. Yeah. And, and a lot of people out there that I knew, I had this, I had a knowledge I could see the death that their lifestyle was leading to. And it was, it was pretty horrendous. Yeah. And uh, it scared me. My insides just turned to ice. Yeah, I know. I mean, I had close calls on my motorcycle. Yeah, this kind of death was a whole different, a whole different thing. And I remember turning around, and I was just talking to myself. I said, "Oh crap, I don't like this." So this voice comes back and says, "Well, this is the bottom line of your decision making." So checkmate. Yeah, I thought, well. That's true. And and I still didn't put anything together. 
Yeah. But I remember looking over, standing looking over the buildings and, and, and saying to myself, the first time in my life, I hell. Yeah. Now, I always joke with my friends and tell them, I need help, boys. I'm a, I'm a sick guy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was just, uh, just joking on the square. Yeah. In other words, I was trying to tell the truth in a funny way. I, I couldn't admit it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, a few days later, I'm uh, I'm talking to a friend of mine on the on the tier, and I and while we're talking, I'm reading this book sale, and I see this book up there. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth. Yep. Now, a couple of years before in County Jail, that that auto got mentioned, and someone said, "Boy, there's a piece of science fiction for you," <laughs> and I read it. I registered that. Yeah. And uh, so, so when I saw this book, I remember science fiction. I was into science fiction. Yeah. I didn't want, I, I, that's just what I liked. And so I said, hey, uh, let me read that book. It's the late, great planet Earth. I heard it was science fiction. And the guy had my friend in the cell said, what's all that? My grandmother sent me that. And that kind of got me. I thought, well, your grandmother must be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> So I started reading it. And now this is this is about Christianity and Jesus or something. I didn't want to hear it. Yeah. And I, I got ready to throw it out. The voice speaks to me and says, Hey, this place is to be helped. And it's so what? I don't want to be no fishing. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And all the jailhouse talked about fishing is like very uncomplimentary, to say the least. Yeah. And uh the boy comes back and says, well, it claims to be help, so why don't you read it? And then if it's no help, throw it away. So checkmate again. So I said, okay, I'm going to send it. So I started reading it, and it was Hal Lindsey. It was a famous book at the time. Yeah, of course. They were having, a, they were having the, the rapture craze. There was this big rapture craze. Yeah. I didn't know about it at that time, but that's what was happening. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, I started reading it, it's all about Jesus and prophecy and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what do I care about a bunch of Jewish folklore? <laughs> but, but here's the part that got me. It said, why are the mathematical odds of Jesus and Nazareth being God's Messiah by design or just by happenstance? Yeah. And I thought, well... I had had I had I worked in the Harris Club at Lake Tahoe in the early sixties, and I I really didn't know how they figured out the odds, but I knew the odds are real important in a gambling situation, part of the business model, right? Yeah. And so I knew they're important. So I said, okay, what about it? So I started. It, they started going through it. It was something like, okay, uh, Jesus has to be a male. That's one over two. Yeah. Times. To be a son of Adam times one over three times a son of Noah. That's another times one over three. Or a son of Abraham. Well, Abraham had two times, times one over two. Yeah. Abraham, Jacob, all the same thing. Well, it didn't take too long before it got to be several million to one. Yeah. And, uh, Hey, uh, what's that you want? And I said, man, I said, well, man, 
Because, you know, I, I can argue the, the theology for philosophy, politics, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you can't argue with arithmetic. Yeah. yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. And so I said, all right, I'm convinced. So, something about this is right. So uh, later on, I'm, I know it's God talking now. All right. And so I'm laying in bed one night and I'm struggling with this. I don't want to do it. Yeah. But I, I, you, know, you know the track about uh, footprints in the sand? You ever saw that? Absolutely, yes. Okay, well, mine is called heel marks in the sand. Because <laughs> you're being dragged. I had a drug problem. They dragged me into it. <laughs> but, but, but really, I. I was laying in bed and I said, okay, God, if you know everything, I guess you do. You say you love me and we both know I don't love you. I want to use you, but I don't love you. We both know it. So if you're who you say, you already know I don't. So, and you say you want to help me? Really? I said, you're weak. Because I never did anything but hurt you. But just in case, uh, you love me and you can do something about it. I'm ready to shoot your best shot, so to speak. And in my heart, I, I, I was saying, or get off my back. <laughs> Even then, I was I didn't say that. I yeah. felt it. I, had a, I, I just had a restraint. And that's the first time I'd ever known a restraint about this, right? But I, I didn't say it. So, so the next morning, I woke up, had a great night's sleep. My mind was focused for the first time, and I don't know when. I've been going 90 miles an hour in three or four directions for years. Yeah. I just think that that is sort of normal. I just normalized it and just went on, right? Yeah. So, so pretty soon I started thinking about if I was telling the truth and if what I was doing is right. And one side of me said, well, so what? You know, why, what's all this worry about the, that my conscience is waking up? Yeah. And, and and I remember saying, I used to feel like this when I was nine or ten. Yeah, but he doesn't remember the place where they lived and hung out because in this book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, it is very detailed about how Manson and his family were around all the time at parties hanging out with all the rock stars. At one point, they lived with the Dennis, the drummer of the Beach Boys, which pretty much everyone knows. And they, uh, Dennis let them drive their cars, everything. So they were in the canyon. And, I, and I'll never, when I'm talking to, to guys who are in prison, I never want to do anything that's going to, uh, you know, negatively impact them in any way. You know what I mean? I reached out to them. I entered their world. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble or do anything that's going to hurt someone's appeal process. But yeah, with Bruce, he obviously, if you're listening, you know, keep everything we said in mind. He sidesteps the question and, and he talks about his testimony. He even talk about um, the first time he met Char Charlie and, and all that. Yeah, stuff. let's let's play that clip real quick. I was going to ask, you know, do you get bored when people bring up Charles Manson? Is that a subject you don't want to touch? Is that something that just bores you? Is it something you're... Oh, I'd say, you know, that's a part of the story. That's a part of the reality. I don't, I don't lead with that. I don't say, oh, everybody, blah, blah, blah. You know, most of the people out here know it because, you know, everybody knows everything practically. 
I just, I just use, I just use that. A person says that, I just say, you know, that was during my stupid period. Yeah. And I'm like, and then I start telling what the Lord did for me. Yeah. And um, well, so I'm not, I'm not reluctant. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. So, uh, can you tell that story of the first time? Yeah, can you tell the story of the first time you met Charles and, uh, you know, how you felt the first time you saw him? Because uh, I think I've heard you talk about that before, and it's interesting. Yeah, what? The, the first time that you met Charles Manson and, and what you thought? Well, I don't started. It all started in 1942. <laughs> um, I was... I, I was working in LA. I was, I was working at pipelines and and in welding shops, etc. And uh, I was also smoking grass and everything. And I got I got involved with a couple of people, and we were going down to Malibu to uh, uh, to score some grass, right? And uh, we got pulled over by the the, uh, the Malibu sheriff, and I was clean. I was. My car was backing down, and I was, I was clear. But I got arrested anyway for possession. And so I stayed in jail for 10 days, and I'd never been in jail before. And I saw and heard things that it was just in another world. But during this time, uh, the, the spirit that I had opened myself up to with LSD for a year, several years before that just came to me and sort of said, Oh, it, they mistreated me. It gave me, well, it gave me feelings of being mistreated and, uh, and abused, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I started playing the victim card in my head. Yeah. And I, and I said, I'll never, I'll never do anything to support this system all for me, you know. And, and so, I, so when I left, I was just wide open. And, and a few days later, I ran in. I ran, I ran, I ran into Charlie, and uh, it was through a bunch of circumstances that when, when I first met him, he was really cool, a bunch of girls around, it was very attractive to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, hi, I'm Charlie, and I told him my name, and, and it kind of went on from there. And... Uh, we, 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 they were living, they were living in, a, in an old abandoned house up in Topanga uh, Canyon, and uh, it was it was nice. I mean, it was pretty cool. Uh, he said, "Here, stay for supper." And so we were there, and uh, here's what got me hooked. Tony turned to me and he said, "Hey, could you do me a favor?" And I, I said, "Yeah, sure, maybe." He says. You know, these girls are wearing me out. He says, they are just, man, they just want too much from me. I just can't, I just can't keep up with all them. They're just, they're just a bunch of corny witches, man. He said, he says he can help me out. Well, <laughs> I played it cool. I, I played it cool. He said, oh, yeah, I, I, I'll see what I can do. I'm the man for the job. <laughs> okay, so from right there, I was hooked. Yeah. It, it was it was over. I just gave myself to it. Yeah. And uh, well, the rest is history. But um, <laughs> that's how we first met. Yeah, that's and, wild. And I was like, uh, 
I, I, I was like a fish in the water, not even wanting to jump in the boat. I just wanted to jump straight to the fire there. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, now, I was a daughter. Now, did you, did your you did your inner voice back then? Did you have something whispering to you that hey, this is wrong, or you know, don't go up to the to the Tate House? Um, you know, did you have a conscious or, or the Holy Spirit or something telling you, um, you know, hey, this is wrong, or hey, don't you don't want to do this or that? Uh, could you talk about that a bit? Well, you know, I was Hey, we're going out tonight. I didn't know anything was going out. I didn't know what it was. But out of my mouth came no. I mean, before she got through her tennis. And I, it was something that, I mean, it was something that I, before I could even think about it, I said no. And she went, okay. And just walked off. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that was the Lord right there. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we both understood that was final no. And that was, that was, yeah. That saved me from all that mess. Well, you didn't say no very much, right? Let's call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh, no, no was probably a rare response from you, right? I said no was probably a rare response from you, right? What a way to get someone into your gang or your 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 psychotic family. So again, he doesn't want to talk about uh, Laurel Canyon. Now again, genuinely, maybe genuinely, he he didn't think it was important enough, and he never he he maybe he just genuinely doesn't remember. Now, or now the other way to take this is that these guys are to this day in their eighties terrified. Of the CIA and, and had me thinking because well, at, yeah I would be I think it was on the Nelk Boy podcast Alex Jones was talking to them and they had asked him something like has the government ever tried to harass you or something like that and dude Alex Jones has this he got sued he got lost he got sued for like a trillion dollars well he goes he's like yeah I had uh going to the grocery store one day and came out in the parking lot and uh these two two guys they said uh, we're there with the FBI and you know you need to stop what you're doing and the Nelk boys are like, I think it was with the Nelk boys. They're like, uh, so Alex, what did you do? Now to pause for a second. I only want to be involved in conversations with people who, when you say, what did you do? Their response is, I beat all of their asses. Because when they said, Alex, what did you do? He goes, well, I beat their asses. I broke his nose and I, ki I kicked his ass right there in the parking lot. <laughs> Those are the only conversations I ever want to have or what people are like, oh. Yeah, but did he really do that? So, I think Alex Jones is a big dude. I mean, if, like, if but you can't beat up like they were federal officers, weren't they? Oh, dude, if two FBI come to me in a Walmart parking lot and you just, I mean, you have to realize that there's a difference between federal agencies and local. And a lot of the local guys do not like federal agencies. So if you whoop an FBI agent's ass in a Walmart parking lot and you have a deputy pull up that deputy may tell them to get bent so th there's that discrepancy between the federal agents and locals so if, if you whoop two fbi agents in a walmart parking lot and you have a sheriff's deputy show up the sheriff's deputy may think it's funny and tell them to scram right so so there is there, there's a difference there so it is possible that you know what alex is saying um did happen there but it's just interesting to me that there's it Either this guy genuinely doesn't know, which is fine, or he doesn't want to talk for a reason. And that that's where the spooky part comes in. So here's the other part that gets interesting. Um, so on my wife's birthday, I'm sitting there, and I look at my phone, and it says, you have a new message from Charles Watson. And I'm like, what? 
So I open up this app, and he's he basically says like, "Hey, peace of Christ to you. You know, do do I know you?" And I and I basically just copy and paste the same message I sent to Bruce Davis to to Charles Watson, and I was like, "Hey, can I get you on this podcast?" And he didn't he didn't really want to do the interview. Um, he wanted to promote his his website and stuff, and he was like, "Can you promote my Christian website?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine." Which I'll have to pull it up here in a second because I don't remember the name of it. But I said, you know, I, I asked him about Laurel Canyon. And um, he just said, yeah, I talked about it in my book, and I don't really have anything else to say about it. And so um, so I pulled up his book. Um, it's called uh, – here, I'll, I'll tell you here in one second. Um, so his, his website is aboundinglove.org. He's got a podcast called Abounding Love, and it's just his He's podcasting from, from <laughs> yeah. the joint? He is, man. The one day that I was – Wait, hold on. Everyone has a podcast. So – Everyone. He is he is telling me, uh, yeah, it's his global outreach, um, aboundinglove.org. You can check it out. He's got a he's got a couple different books, Christianity for Fools, and then uh his book, Will You Die for Me, where he kind of talks about his life. So um he you know, he had kinda uh, he didn't really want to talk, but was interested in if I could promote his show, and I said, Yeah, that's fine. So check out aboundinglove.org. Um, now here's what he says in in his book. Um, and by the way, we we've been talking for a little bit. I won't quote him directly because I don't know what the what the laws are for that for California inmates. And you know, if he didn't give me permission, what I don't know. But um, it's just been very very short messages and really Christian bait. Like it just seems like he he asked me if Jesus asked you why you should go to heaven, why would you say yeah? And I said I. I said, I, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I only deserve it based off of the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I believe that he rose from the dead, you know. Uh, that's why. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're a Christian, right? So he had like— Oh, dude, Tex Watson. He you killed Sharon Tate. <laughs> yeah. And cut a baby me. out, vetted you about your Christianity. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And then you answered correctly, so he believed you. Wild. So, yeah, so, we, so he's just—like, he messaged me today before the podcast I was telling you about. So, uh, so— he says, um, uh, th- this is what I could find in his book. He said, once I quit school, and I haven't finished the book yet, so he could go back into detail in the canyon, but this is what I found so far. He says, once I quit school, we moved to an apartment in West Hollywood, then to a house on Wonderland Drive, so the <laughs> Wonderland murders, right? Not that he has anything to do with that, but just an interesting story and, and a movie with Val Kimmer. Uh, so then to a house on Wonderland Drive up in Laurel Canyon behind the Strip. The canyon was a strange place. Somebody told me it had started as a place for summer cottages in the first part of the century when there were still miles of open country between Hollywood and Los Angeles. It still had a bit, a little bit of that feeling with trees and narrow canyons running up into the hills, but now the cottages were run down shacks jumbled in between expensive houses where actors and writers and musicians lived cramped together on the narrow streets. On the bottom of the hill just before you reached Sunset Strip, there was a market and restaurant where street people hung out, right alongside movie stars and singers and agents at the table in the open-air cafe. Which so, Jim Morrison, The Doors, have a song about. Yeah. What's the song? Do you know? Do you remember? I'll keep going. Sometimes at a distance, it was hard to tell who were the hippies and who were the show business types. In the other direction, behind the canyon, the huge San Fernando Valley spread out, and if you were far enough north and west to the other side, you'd reach San- Santa Susana Pass and a rundown movie ranch called Spawn. So... Nothing crazy there. Um, again, could it be that the guys that actually lived in it, you know, maybe they were oblivious. Maybe at the end of the day, they're like, nah, it's it looks bad, but there's really nothing going on. But 
kind of like we mentioned earlier, there was a guy who bought a, a house there. I don't remember who it originally owned to. It might have even been Zappa's, but um, he buys this house, and while he's remodeling it, he moves a bookshelf, and he finds a hidden tunnel, and he goes down into it, and it was connecting all of these houses. Uh, they were, like, all connected. And then, again, a lot of these houses burned down. Obviously, a lot of houses burned down in California. That's that's not... Um, you know, unnormal, but maybe the houses that had all these tunnels and weird connections burned down for a reason because, you know, the op was over and it's time to destroy any and all evidence of it. Yeah, because you can't have someone buy Frank Zappa's log cabin and then go, what are all these secret tunnels down here with the chambers? Yeah, so the the song, yeah, so the song by The Doors is called Love Street. And then there's the line, you know, where it's like, there's a store there. Yeah. Then there's a line where it's like, there's a store where the creatures meet. Mm, yeah. I'm the lizard king. Dude. And you and I as two Doors fans, like, let's be honest. Hey, I only like a couple songs by the Doors. <laughs> um, I like then way more than you. What songs do you like? Uh, the the main ones, man. Break on like, through. There's a rider oh. on the store. Dude, you know, I'm, like, I'm deep cuts. I'm like, five to one. Five to one. I don't know. One in five. But no one here gets out alive. Dude, and then one of my favorite ones is not even, it's after his death. They took like all the poetry that he wrote and, they, and the band members put music to it. And it's. Um, but also there are some songs that are not jamming. Right. I mean, like completely like. Some some of the songs you listen to and you're like, yeah, this isn't really doing it for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's some of them where it's like too much organ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too much organ, bro. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Can we tone the organ down? Yeah. And they're like, no, this is what makes us different. Okay. So it's the ghost song and it starts out and it's just, um, I don't know, like I, I like the I like the poetry to it. And I had it at one time. I had it set as my alarm because the song starts off and uh it starts off with Awake, shake dreams from your hair, my pretty child. Seize the day, the day's divinity. And my wife woke up and she goes, What the hell is this? <laughs> She's like, Turn this off. And I go, It's how it says awake. And she's like, we're not, that is not your alarm. I'm looking through the catalog and I've forgotten how many songs I do. Not to touch the earth, changeling. Oh, dude, I love not not to touch the earth. Light my fire, people are strange, love that one. Backdoor man, won't you love her madly? Riders on the storm, hello, I love you. Yeah, they got, they, they, they're not, they, I, I shouldn't. Dude, and then, and then when they They're went, not like Zappa where there's just. No, like, and then no when they way. went full blues, dude, like L.A. Woman, Roadhouse. There's some stuff. Yeah, the door. The Riders on the talent. storm. Yeah, you know, one of the that was the other thing too. He kind of talks about where, they were very mysterious. Like, je, like they did a good job with whatever the hell was going on with that band. You know what I mean? Because they kind of built him up. I mean, they even cut his hair just like Alexander the Great. Great. From, he studied. From, he, he would study Alexander yeah. the Great. He would stand in front of the mirror and cock his head yeah. like how he would hear that that Alexander would would cock his head to. 
to the side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he's you got a lot of that going on. And yeah, I mean the fat bearded Jim Morrison. I was just like, Kind of looks like, like, like I like I like a fat bearded Jim Morrison. Looked like the Will Ferrell and like the cowbell uh thing I always thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the Neymar Cowboy, that's that's exactly what he looked like. Now here's what I'm thinking too is is you know, does that mean that you know, I'm not saying that I think Jim Morrison went to boot camp and was some rigid um, thing I think it was probably the the analogy that I would use. Have you seen the movie Shot Caller? No. Okay, so uh, th- there's like John Bur. Jeez, how do you say his last name? Bergeron. No, what the um the dude who played Punisher in the one series. Why? How come I can't pronounce his name? I love that the one on Netflix. Yeah, it's so pissed so they took that away. Shot Caller. I'm not gonna go into all the movie, but uh, it's got the one dude. It's got a dude from Game of Thrones, and then uh, uh the midget. No, yeah, it's got him. No, it does. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's John Bernthal, right? So, uh, John John Bernthal's character, um, he's got this. Uh, the, he's basically he's not an undercover cop, but he's an informant, right? And so he's got this uh, parole officer who's constantly telling him, like, dude, if you don't deliver, like, you better be at this place at this time doing this thing. And if you're not, you're going back to jail. Your wife's going to jail. Like, they're just constantly threatening him. Like, you have to deliver. You have to do what we're saying, or you're out. And what I would, what I assume is that the relationship would be more like that. Like they're probably showing up to Morrison and being like, "You can have the chicks, you can have the drugs. We're we're gonna let you do all this stuff, but you better keep your mouth shut when it comes to this war, and you you better tell start talking about this. And when you do that interview, you better say this and you better say that, or you're done. You know, like that's the relationship that I imagine it was probably like with some of these characters. You know, like the, like I'm not saying that Jim Morrison like deeply believed all this stuff it's like he was probably just well dude his dad was probably like his dad probably didn't believe all of it well no like like his dad was you know a colonel the head of the boat the 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 instigator of the vietnam war and he was probably like yeah my son's up for it i'll make sure of it because they showed up to la to hollywood as a fully formed band and with like a mythical story about meeting in L.A. film school and been meeting on the beach and singing. And Morrison saw the dead Native American and became. Yeah. And it, then it, he lived on a rooftop where they do have a mural of him yeah. on that building where he ate nothing but beans yeah. so that he could have a real good body to be the lizard king. Yeah, 100 percent. So uh, that's what I think these relationships were more like. I don't think that these people had um, core. And you got to think about. So Jim Morrison flees for pulling his wiener out down in Florida because he's facing that trial, which they say that, you know, he he never exposed himself, whatever. So he flees, he goes to Paris, he dies. No one ever sees the body except for Pamela. And then whoever she got to help, um, you know, figure it out, but there was no funeral, no nothing. And they're like, this is his gravesite. No one's ever dug it up. No one's ever had it exhumed, nothing. So like out of, out of all the people that they say that are still alive, Elvis, Tupac, the list goes on. I think that the only one where there's a small probability is Jim Morrison, only because of who his dad was and the fact that no one ever saw his body. There was never a funeral, and they just buried him right away. Have you seen that picture of the guy that they say was like John Morrison in hiding? Um, there's this guy who was like a mechanic, and people believe that he was. It was in like Oklahoma or somewhere, ra- like really random, where they they said that he was. Now I well, believe. Do, I believe that. Go ahead. Well, there is there is a guy. I mean, this has happened several times. You know, Jesse James. There's a you know his name was Jesse James. That's a very fascinating book about how 
he was basically almost like a, a spy with the Confederacy and he faked his death and then, you know, became all these other people. Yeah, Even at one time a politician. And then at the end of his life, you can find it. He's like, I'm Jesse James because he wanted the credit because Jesse James became such a mythical person. So is it someone that just, you know, wants to same be Yeah, there's the Paul McCartney stuff. Even Nikki it, Six well, was there, a guy that claimed to be Nikki Six. There's um there's also uh James Dean was said to have wanted out of Hollywood, faked his death and then moved to Canada and had a family. There's a whole thing on that. So but I don't know about the what like Nikki Six isn't the real Nikki Six right now? There was a guy that he this and then the guy that said he was Nikki Six actually died, but he just came out and I said Nikki Six died of a heroin overdose, but didn't come back and they didn't they replaced him with me and all this crap. But anyway, um um so here's the thing. Some of those story like anytime a famous person dies, there's gonna be a conspiracy. Yeah, because people it. don't want him to die. Exactly one hundred percent. But get this. So I believed all the Jim Morrison stuff too. Like I didn't I didn't think that the dude uh died either. And um, what kind of changed my mind on this now that to go even deeper into the conspiracy, you would say this whole book is a conspiracy. But uh, Riders on the Storm, John Den- Den- Densmore's book, uh, The Drummer of the Doors, in his book, he says like he, he the whole book, he's just like befuddled by Jim Morrison. Like he's like doesn't get this dude at all. Like he's like, this dude's crazy. When Morrison dies. John says in his book, I didn't think he died. He's like, I thought that he was still alive. He's like, Jim Morrison would 100% fake his own death. That's totally something he would do. And he's like, I didn't believe it until he went He went with uh, some people to collect Jim's final things that were left in, over in that apartment. And they had been taken away and were secret in France or whatever. And he said he went into Jim's jeans and he pulled out a bag of heroin. And he said, when I saw the heroin, I knew right then and there he died of a heroin overdose. So, again, the, the deeper conspiracies that the whole book's made up and that he's he's doing this as part of the thing could be. I mean, how or many could he people- be? Could he have picked up a bag because his girlfriend, Pamela, was was a did do heroin, you know? So, yeah, it could be. But then again, it's like, I mean, people, they say a lot in their memoirs, and it's like, who's really going to take the time to read the book? Especially of the drummer of the doors is a little bit. And the organ player. Ray Manzarek, who recently um, passed, he wrote a book of, that was fiction all about if Jim Morrison faked his death and was alive and like I lived on an island. I didn't know that. Um, dude, uh, Molly Crew had this story where they went to a studio with, with him. And this was like at the peak of their addiction. And that dude, Ray, was just drinking and partying like crazy. And they literally said... And wouldn't stop playing the organ. It was like reefer madness, but with the organ, they're like, will someone get that guy? And to they stop said, they weed? go... We were thinking, geez, if this guy partied like this, how bad was Morrison? So there's a chance that, that now again, the other thing too is like Jim could genuinely be doing all these drugs because he could have the barrel of a gun in his face at all times. He's he he could have had people constantly, as I said, saying like, "You better do this, or you're dead." And so he could have been doing heroin to take the edge off. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, or just drinking all the time so he could just do it that would be stress dude we'll we'll do it and then like follow through on like say he didn't really want to do it but then if you're hammered all the time then you know your your defenses are down Uh, yeah i mean you know how stressful that'd be to have the agent constantly threatening you and telling you what to do like that'd be a hard life so they're saying you know like i said they could say you get all the money and you get all the money the drugs the girls but you're gonna tell uh you know our message for us so i think this would be a good spot to wrap up right yeah yeah dude so what are what's the large challenge for the week i'm thinking that uh anything laurel canyon anything w- about laurel canyon the musicians of that time here hammer that book here real quick so this 
so this is the book that we've been talking about weird scenes inside the canyon and i recommend it to everyone and especially for people that um just love the art and the music from the late like 60s and 70s um which you know i'm a huge fan and i read it and i'm like it, it's it's mind-blowing to think about but you know it's not going to change the fact that um some days you just you know you want to you want to crank on good vibrations right write a song even if you want to make some paint do something what i think would be cool is to see something that of of the duality of some sort of artwork that has the duality of the supposed peaceful hippie loving thing but then on the back end somehow showing the darker side so whether it's like a a peace sign where half of it's all flowery and the other half is dark, whatever. I, I want to see some art with that duality in it, but anything yeah, like a Canyon pie is like the culture. lookout mountain military yeah. base with all the, <laughs> the singers below it, you know, but that's the, uh, that's the art challenge for the week. So check it out in the descriptions. You know how to, how to get it to us on our socials or email. So, all right. All right.